Section seven of Phaedrus by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Section seven. Thus far I have been speaking of the fourth and last kind of madness, which is imputed to him who, when he sees the beauty of earth, is transported with the recollection of the true beauty. He would like to fly away, but he cannot he is like a bird fluttering and looking upward and careless of the world below and he is therefore thought to be mad and i have shown this of all inspirations to be the noblest and highest and the offspring of the highest to him who has or shares in it and that he who loves the beautiful is called a lover because he partakes of it for as has been already said every soul of man has in the way of nature beheld true being this was the condition of her passing into the form of man but all souls do not easily recall the things of the other world they may have seen them for a short time only or they may have been unfortunate in their earthly lot and having had their hearts turned to unrighteousness through some corrupting influence they may have lost the memory of the holy things which once they saw few only retain an adequate remembrance of them and they when they behold here any image of that other world are wrapped in amazement but they are ignorant of what this rapture means because they do not clearly perceive for there is no light of justice or temperance or any of the higher ideas which are precious to souls in the earthly copies of them they are seen through a glass dimly and there are few who going to the images behold in them the realities and these only with difficulty there was a time when with the rest of the happy band they saw beauty shining in brightness we philosophers following in the train of zeus others in company with other gods and then we beheld the beatific vision and were initiated into a mystery which may be truly called most blessed celebrated by us in our state of innocence before we had any experience of evils to come when we were admitted to the sight of apparitions innocent and simple and calm and happy which we beheld shining in pure light 
pure ourselves and not yet enshrined in that living tomb which we carry about now that we are imprisoned in the body like an oyster in his shell let me linger over the memory of scenes which have passed away oh, but of beauty i repeat again that we saw her there shining in company with the celestial forms and coming to earth we find her here too shining in clearness through the clearest aperture of sense for sight is the most piercing of our bodily senses though not by that is wisdom seen her loveliness would have been transporting if there had been a visible image of her and the other ideas if they had visible counterparts would be equally lovely but this is the privilege of beauty that being the loveliest she is also the most palpable to sight now he who is not newly initiated or who has become corrupted does not easily rise out of this world to the sight of true beauty in the other he looks only at her earthly namesake and instead of being awed at the sight of her he is given over to pleasure and like a brutish beast he rushes on to enjoy and beget he consorts with wantonness and is not afraid or ashamed of pursuing pleasure in violation of nature but he whose initiation is recent and who has been the spectator of many glories in the other world is amazed when he sees any one having a godlike face or form which is the expression of divine beauty and at first a shudder runs through him and again the old awe steals over him then looking upon the face of his beloved as of a god he reverences him and if he were not afraid of being thought a downright madman he would sacrifice to his beloved as to the image of a god then while he gazes on him there is a sort of reaction and the shudder passes into an unusual heat and perspiration for as he receives the effluence of beauty through the eyes the wing moistens and he warms and as he warms the parts out of which the wing grew and which had been hitherto closed and rigid and had prevented the wing from shooting forth are melted and as nourishment streams upon him the lower end of the wing begins to swell and grow from the root upwards and the growth extends under the whole soul 
for once the whole was winged during this process the whole soul is all in a state of ebullition and effervescence which may be compared to the irritation and uneasiness in the gums at the time of cutting teeth bubbles up and has a feeling of uneasiness and tickling but when in like manner the soul is beginning to grow wings the beauty of the beloved meets her eye and she receives the sensible warm motion of particles which flow towards her therefore called emotion chimeros, and is refreshed and warmed by them and then she ceases from her pain with joy but when she is parted from her beloved and her moisture fails then the orifices of the passage out of which the wing shoots dry up and close and intercept the germ of the wing which being shut up with the emotion throbbing as with the pulsations of an artery pricks the aperture which is nearest until at length the entire soul is pierced and maddened and pained and at the recollection of beauty is again delighted and from both of them together the soul is oppressed at the strangeness of her condition and is in a great strait and excitement and in her madness can neither sleep by night nor abide in her place by day and wherever she thinks that she will behold the beautiful one thither in her desire she runs and when she has seen him and bathed herself in the waters of beauty her constraint is loosened and she is refreshed and has no more pangs and pains and this is the sweetest of all pleasures at the time and is the reason why the soul of the lover will never forsake his beautiful one whom he esteems above all he has forgotten mother and brethren and companions and he thinks nothing of the neglect and loss of his property the rules and proprieties of life on which he formerly prided himself he now despises and is ready to sleep like a servant wherever he is allowed as near as he can to his desired one who is the object of his worship and the physician who can alone assuage the greatness of his pain oh, and this state my dear imaginary youth to whom i am talking is by men called love and among the gods has a name at which you in your simplicity may be inclined to mock 
there are two lines in the apocryphal writings of homer in which the name occurs one of them is rather outrageous and not altogether metrical they are as follows mortals call him fluttering love but the immortals call him winged one because the growing of wings or reading pterothoiton the movement of wings is a necessity to him you may believe this but not unless you like at any rate the loves of lovers and their causes are such as i have described now the lover who is taken to be the attendant of zeus is better able to bear the winged god and can endure a heavier burden but the attendants and companions of ares when under the influence of love if they fancy that they have been at all wronged are ready to kill and put an end to themselves and their beloved and he who follows in the train of any other god while he is unspoiled and the impression lasts honours and imitates him as far as he is able and after the manner of his god he behaves in his intercourse with his beloved and with the rest of the world during the first period of his earthly existence every one chooses his love from the ranks of beauty according to his character and this he makes his god and fashions and adorns as a sort of image which he is to fall down and worship the followers of zeus desire that their beloved should have a soul like him and therefore they seek out some one of a philosophical and imperial nature and when they have found him and loved him they do all they can to confirm such a nature in him and if they have no experience of such a disposition hitherto they learn of any one who can teach them and themselves follow in the same way and they have the less difficulty in finding the nature of their own god in themselves because they have been compelled to gaze intensely on him their recollection clings to him and they become possessed of him and receive from him their character and disposition so far as man can participate in god the qualities of their god they attribute to the beloved wherefore they love him all the more and if like the bacchic nymphs they draw inspiration from zeus they pour out their own fountain upon him wanting to make him as like as possible to their own god but those who are the followers of hera seek a royal love and when they have found him they do just the same with him and in like manner the followers of apollo 
and of every other god walking in the ways of their god seek a love who is to be made like him whom they serve and when they have found him they themselves imitate their god and persuade their love to do the same and educate him into the manner and nature of the god as far as they each can for no feelings of envy or jealousy are entertained by them towards their beloved but they do their utmost to create in him the greatest likeness of themselves and of the god whom they honour thus fair and blissful to the beloved is the desire of the inspired lover and the initiation of which i speak into the mysteries of true love if he be captured by the lover and their purpose is effected now the beloved is taken captive in the following manner as i said at the beginning of this tale i divided each soul into three two horses and a charioteer and one of the horses was good and the other bad the division may remain but i have not yet explained in what the goodness or badness of either consists and to that i will now proceed the right-hand horse is upright and cleanly made he has a lofty neck and an aquiline nose his colour is white and his eyes dark he is a lover of honour and modesty and temperance and the follower of true glory he needs no touch of the whip but is guided by word and admonition only the other is a crooked lumbering animal put together anyhow he has a short thick neck he is flat-faced and of a dark colour with grey eyes and blood-red complexion the mate of insolence and pride shag-eared and deaf hardly yielding to whip and spur now when the charioteer beholds the vision of love and has his whole soul warmed through sense and is full of the prickings and ticklings of desire the obedient steed then as always under the government of shame refrains from leaping on the beloved but the other heedless of the pricks and of the blows of the whip plunges and runs away giving all manner of trouble to his companion and the charioteer whom he forces to approach the beloved and to remember the joys of love they at first indignantly oppose him and will not be urged on to do terrible and unlawful deeds but at last when he persists in plaguing them they yield and agree to do as he bids them and now they are at the spot and behold the flashing beauty of the beloved 
which when the charioteer sees his memory is carried to the true beauty whom he beholds in company with modesty like an image placed upon a holy pedestal he sees her but is afraid and falls backwards in adoration and by his fall is compelled to pull back the reins with such violence as to bring both the steeds on their haunches the one willing and unresisting the unruly one very unwilling and when they have gone back a little the one is overcome with shame and wonder and his whole soul is bathed in perspiration the other when the pain is over which the bridle and the fall had given him having with difficulty taken breath is full of wrath and reproaches which he heaps upon the charioteer and his fellow steed for want of courage and manhood declaring that they have been false to their agreement and guilty of desertion again they refuse and again he urges them on and will scarce yield to their prayer that he would wait until another time when the appointed hour comes they make as if they had forgotten and he reminds them fighting and neighing and dragging them on until at length he on the same thoughts intent forces them to draw near again and when they are near he stoops his head and puts up his tail and takes the bit in his teeth and pulls shamelessly then the charioteer is worse off than ever he falls back like a racer at the barrier and with a still more violent wrench drags the bit out of the teeth of the wild steed and covers his abusive tongue and jaws with blood and forces his legs and haunches to the ground and punishes him sorely and when this has happened several times and the villain has ceased from his wanton way he is tamed and humbled and follows the will of the charioteer and when he sees the beautiful one he is ready to die of fear and from that time forward the soul of the lover follows the beloved in modesty and holy fear end of section 7 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey